Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down in Perth, Australia at the RAC Arena. Headlined by a lightweight super fight between Islam Makachev and Alexander Volkanovsky, lightweight champ versus featherweight champ, or as Dana White would tell you, <laughs> Volkanovsky versus that one guy versus uh, what's his name? Um, you know the uh, um, it's one of the guys without who doesn't have the mustache. Um, <laughs> You know, the Khabib one. Yeah, the Khabib one. Talks he talks about his fighters like we do. <laughs> That's a problem. That is a problem. problem. Yeah, <laughs> people who have listened to this show would know that we are we are not excellent promoters of UFC events. <laughs> yeah, that was truly like. I know the man just like beat his wife in public like four weeks ago, but that was one of the yeah. most embarrassing things I've ever seen from him. <laughs> Couldn't think of his champion who was headlining next week. I mean, and oh, look, guy, look, I get that it's midnight, one in the morning, whatever stupid ass time they put that stupid ass. Whose fault is that? Yeah, exactly. That's his fault. And be he's got a piece of paper in front of him all the time. Just write people's names down. If you you know, if if that's what it takes, like yeah, it, it, everybody forgets some crap, whatever. But he makes yeah. like twenty. He makes twenty million dollars a year to his, read his, that piece of paper. <laughs> his Meneers has now gotten so bad that he can no longer hear even his own internal monologue. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's drowning it's just, out. It's just own. the that it's just that uh, <laughs> UFC the classic UFC theme song. Which well, one's that? The uh, the the stem one or? Yeah, yeah. It's just oh, the yeah. the stem it's song. Face the pain. That's face worse than pain. Dana forgetting Islam Makachev's name. You couldn't think of the name of Face the Pain. I see. This is what I'm saying. Like. Wow. You, it's like forgetting the name of the albatross you wear around your neck. Yeah, no kid. Well, I know I'll always remember you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, I'll give you that one. <laughs> all right, I'll give you now. It's hard to forget you. <laughs> oh Jesus, <laughs> boy, did I walk into that. Uh... <laughs> All right, so we got this UFC 284 card here. The yeah. producer was just noting, it really is a three-fight card. Yeah, headlined by a super fight and underlined by literally nothing. Yeah, there's a super fight, there's a top contender featherweight bout, there's a cool welterweight fight between really good action fighters. Yep. And then it's just... Guys from here fighting guys not from here. Yep. That's it. That's the best we could do. You know, and like Kulabau and Bagdasarian, sure, if you're us, that fight's pretty good. Yeah. 
I'm always down to see Jamie Malarkey show up. Loma Lukbunmi, Elise Reed. It's that's a fun fight. But all of these fights, even Pedro Bukowskis at this point in Pedro's career where he's you know, he had like a four year layoff yeah. and has now only fought the worst competition to come back against. Like all of these everything from Justin Taffa down would be perfectly yes. at home on an eternal it would the, the Australian regional like eternal MMA promotion. Yeah. And also, like, one of the most embarrassing instances of heavyweights go on the main card for no particular reason, like sort of, a, you know, the reverse gravity mm-hmm. that affects oh. UFC cards. There's a lot of gravity there. Uh-huh. Why is Justin Taffa Parker Porter on the main card? Like, what puts that above any of the other guy from Oceania fights guy not from Oceania yeah, it's on the card at all. What's yeah, he no doing kidding. there? Justin Toffa's five and three. Yeah, who cares? That's a curtain jerker fight. I, I I like Parker Porter, but like that's a featured prelim at best. Yeah, yeah. Parker Porter Just. is still at this point most notable for being a guy that John Jones beat before he got to the UFC. Yeah, like I mean, I can't I can't point to another fight and say. This is an obvious main card candidate, to be fair. But for, for the love of God, just don't make me watch heavyweights at the end. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's yeah. going gonna, gonna to drag it down. That's not what we need. That's not what we need. Well, at the very least, we do have three really good fights to talk about. And we have one spectacularly interesting fight. We have one spectacularly interesting fight that, sadly... I mean, it doesn't justify the price because eighty-five dollars for a pay-per-view is way too expensive. God no. But it is a fight that you can pay wall, and people are going to pay to show up. Are so, they? Well, not a I'm lot. I'm not sure. Them. I'm not sure what kind of numbers they're expecting here. I, I, I would guess somebody else made this point, and I think it sounds about right. Is that this will do about four hundred thousand buys, which is the lowest number that the UFC will release. That seems honestly. That seems optimistic to me. I don't get the impression that Islam Makachev is a mainstream draw. No, and I don't think he is either. And Volkanovski uh, isn't either. As much as I think he should be, being like possibly the greatest fighter of all time, and I think a charming, charismatic, interesting person. Yeah, he but doesn't get the promotion. Four hundred thousand isn't mainstream draw. That's that's like an okay card in a bad year. I might be out of touch, but last I checked, 400,000 is a pretty decent pay-per-view. Because, like, like, anybody who isn't, like, at least, like, four or five years ago, anybody who wasn't John Jones or Conor McGregor wasn't cracking, wasn't cracking, like, 300,000. Yeah, they had a, well, they had a weird moment that they, because, like, at least, if not last year, the year before last, they just had a really good pay-per-view year where, like, Two-thirds of the cards did really well. And like 600,000, you know, Adesanya getting into like 600,000 and just, you know, lots of stuff like that. So. Okay. I haven't been looking at the numbers. I don't know what numbers yeah, to trust anyway. They, so I'm probably. They, they've had a couple of years where they've been able to to bring some fights that you wouldn't necessarily expect it up into the 600 to near million range kind of thing. Hmm. And 
I believe last year was just a bad year for pay-per-view in general. Yeah. So this this is this could be the best of a bad year. Well, we'll see. But just just based on a vibe of like yeah. most people who even care about MMA like didn't even know this fight was coming up until 2 days ago. Uh, is the feeling like Yeah. I, I don't know. It doesn't feel like a big event. No, well, it's not unfortunately. Like yeah. it's one big fight. But yeah, but it doesn't even they haven't even made yeah, it particularly feel, feel like, like they fight. Yeah, it doesn't feel like they pulled out the stops for that to the point that even Makachev is complaining about it. And yeah, as he Dana should. White's like, you don't know what we've been doing in Perth. And it's like, well, shouldn't he? Shouldn't yeah, right. He be, shouldn't he be like cornerstone involved? Shouldn't he be in Perth doing media? Yeah. I know, Mr. White, you don't actually know who I am, but I'm actually one of the guys <laughs> who's on the card. Yeah. I know you think you're talking to a stranger off the street with a funny accent right now, but I'm actually the champion. Yeah. I'm the Khabib guy. All right. All right. Let's talk about the Khabib guy <laughs> against Alexander Volkanovsky. <laughs> and uh, fascinating fight. Fascinating fight. I think it's especially fascinating that um, one of the principal get-ups that Volkanovsky loves to use, highlighted by Dan Tom, I'm not going to take complete credit for just being like, oh, I keyed in on this myself, um, highlighted by the excellent Dan Tom, mm -hmm. is an, a get-up that worked perfectly for Charles Oliveira against Islam Makachev in their bout, which was to get into deep half guard, dig an underhook around the ass, and try to slide out the back. Mm -hmm. And that is like Volkanovsky's core takedown. I'm on my back now. I got to find a way up. Yeah. Thing. Hard to stop a dude who's built like a, like a log from like getting to deep half, too. Mm-hmm. How do you get a grip on his head before it slips out of reach? You know, kidding. So, because, I mean, you know, I think it's safe for us to say that Islam Makachev is going to take Volkanovsky down. Yeah. And Volkanovsky himself has uh, been acknowledging that. Yeah. That if, if he goes into this thinking that that can't happen, then he's beating himself already because. Yeah. And, and you watch Volkanovsky's fights and. He's not, you know, he's not the most pressuring fighter of all time. He's a very all-terrain, can can take it whichever way he feels he needs to kind of guy. But when he's pushing forward and he's on the front foot, he gets taken down. Yeah. Yeah, he's thing, not exactly, um, as much as I, I think, and I, and I won't say any of these things concretely. I think it's far, far too soon to say that. But mm -hmm. as, as much as I think that he might be the best ever. Sure. Um, in in a specific areas, like he's no Jose Aldo. No, guy can't. You know, he was his some of his wrestling and scrambling and and escape work against uh, Chad Mendes impressive. Yes, wasn't mm -hmm. the way Jose Aldo handled Chad Mendes. No, where where Chad Mendes just like runs into all those hips and it's like running face first into a brick wall, and then he gets like humiliatingly gently guided face first into the floor. Yeah. Uh, and it's just there. It's like there was never a takedown attempt at all. Suddenly he's just on his belly and, and Aldo is standing four feet away. Um, 
Yeah, Volkanovski doesn't have that level of takedown defense. And he's he's also not doesn't have all those level of scrambling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it is definitely the stronger part of Volkanovski's game. He's very good at just not accepting the position and yeah. working really methodically. And, and one of Volkanovski's greatest qualities is just his poise and his calm. It makes him an incredibly flexible, adaptable fighter. Um, so in those positions, he handles them better than a lot of people do and gets up usually very quickly. But he still knows Jose Aldo. And um, and he is going to be the smaller man here. Mm-hmm. So it, it does seem, I mean, th- this is the uh, the trouble with Makachev fights. Um, is that like, uh, or, or fights against just fighters of this type even. Is that uh, you could go in there being like, oh, it's so competitive. Oh, it's so interesting. And the result is nothing like that. Yeah. Uh, because once it starts working, it might just continue to work and, and progress. And it seems like it's probably going to work kind of early, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I expect Makachev to have a key. Mo- well, I mean, that is the thing, is that I think if he's on the back foot, I I think there's a good chance that the, the takedown does not come that early to Makachev. If, if Volkanovski's on the back foot, because he's mm-hmm. much harder to take down when you are coming to him with the takedown. And he's very good at his footwork is great. Yep. Very good at managing and maintaining his distance. Mm-hmm. Very good at countering. Yeah. So, so yeah, the entries will be hard to find. The entries will be hard to find. And Makachev himself is a very willing boxer who tends to start his takedowns from a body or from a clinch and body lock. Yeah. And so. It, yeah, if Volkanovski is being elusive, that won't – I don't know that it will lead to an early takedown, but it might not lead to Volkanovski winning either, you know? Yeah. Might lead to a very static fight where, like many people who are, you know, facing – who faced Khabib and who are now facing Makachev, the knowledge of the wrestling to come – really puts puts a pause in everything else yeah which is uh you know a reason i like um a lot of the training footage i've seen coming out of uh, volkanovsky's camp mm-hmm. <clears throat> that that because yeah the the most important thing in mma when you're facing this kind of i don't even know if it's like it's, to me style uh implies a certain like attitude in fighting mm-hmm. um and it can it can um, it can cover uh, a person's approach in multiple different phases. You know, like I think you can find commonality between how Makachev strikes and how he fights on the ground. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of personal uh, characteristics come through. So, but if if you call this a style clash in the mo- broadest sense, striker versus grappler, the biggest problem for any striker in that kind of dynamic is. Does your thing work when you're really worried about the other thing? Yeah. And and we have seen this so many times that that just the threat, um, and especially once it's been established, if there's a bad round where Makachev does succeed in getting control, it can intensify Mm -hmm. for a lot of fighters. I suspect it – I just suspect it won't for Volkanovsky, but that doesn't mean that 
him ignoring the uh, the like the the creeping sense of panic of oh my god if I do anything I might get taken down doesn't just lead to him doing stuff and getting taken down for it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I, t- I sort of agree with you. I think a a a back foot approach would actually work really well for Volkanovsky here to try to neutralize a lot of those entries. And and Volkanovsky is probably the best uh, outfighting short man. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's definitely the best outfighting short man in the sport. Yeah. There's not a lot of them, and the guys that do it yeah. tend to be they 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 tend to end up being somewhat derided because you know it's you're five foot six and you're trying to fight like you know prime yeah. Anderson Silva, even though it's perfectly viable. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it's just a different approach to that kind of fight, and you know, like definitely one way to take away a bigger guy's reach advantage is to stay so far away that he ends up overcommitting and takes mm-hmm. away his own reach. Um, but it takes a serious depth of skill and Volkanovsky is basically like a super jacked John McDessie, mm-hmm. um, and that he, he manages the distance really well. He does get people to overcommit. He punishes them exceptionally and his footwork is great. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And, and there's also the fact that, uh, because Makachev, I think his, I think his best takedowns, like you said, are in the clinch. Yeah, like he he, he can he can shoot well and he yeah he gets in well on a shot but we've already we've always talked about how like he doesn't have quite the same natural speed and athleticism that Habib did. No. And even and, and even Habib was not a, a great shot wrestler throughout his career. Yeah. It's the it's sh- all about it, it's all for them, you know, for them and I think you know, for for Khabib, for Mahachev, a lot of the success is about a chains and the ability to work to to work the beginning of a position into the eventual thing that you want. The knowledge that a body lock or a clinch tie up is really the first stop in a series of events that will see your opponent on the yeah, mat. They are combination wrestlers, yeah. essentially. That uh, there are wrestlers who are power puncher wrestlers where mm-hmm. they put everything into one big shot and see if that takes you over. And there's guys for whom the shot is a jab. Yeah. Gets you into the position where you can then start uh, putting other things together. And, I, you know, I think the the secret for them has has always been, and I think will probably continue to be with Makachev. He's... We, I know Khabib has officially retired from coaching, but Makachev has le- at least been talking like he's still Khabib has still been a big part of the game plan here, uh, talking to him and helping him prep. I would certainly want Khabib's game planning advice. Yeah, I, I think you know the, the other big thing that defines these guys is just how well prepared they are. Yeah. for what their opponent is going to do when they start getting wrestled. You know, like one of the things that uh, also came up this week from the even nerdier fight breakdown folks out there in the world than us was that Makacha, like that Charles Oliveira, when he's on his back, when he's on his ground, on the ground, he always brings his right arm up to block strikes, to, bro- to block ground and pound. Mm-hmm. 
and he holds it pretty high, like, you know, the answering the phone position, basically. Mm-hmm. And so Makachev started, like, dinging him with little shots on that side, and then when he, like, was able to just pass and, like, get under the elbow. Boom, arm triangle, yeah. Yeah, because he knew he knew he could force that move out of Oliveira, yep. and that the arm would be, you know, the, the, the gap would be free. And these are dudes that they just don't, you know, it's taken a while for them to get credit for this kind of stuff because it's the kind of stuff that it, I think for a lot of fans, we watch it and we're just like, oh, well, he's just good at wrestling. Like, it's just, oh, yeah. he's, he, this guy just, he's a beast and he knows how to get positions and he knows how to flow and all that. It's like, no, they go out and they watch what their opponents do do on the yeah. mat. It's it's a shorthand I'm guilty of using all the time, even though yeah. I'm I I will take every opportunity to like fire back at the striking equivalent of it. Oh, so and so is a better striker. I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, people said that in the Adesanya Pereira fight. They're like, how can you pick Pereira? Adesanya is the better striker. What do you mean? Yeah, what does better striker actually mean? You have to. You know, if you really want to get into it, you have to at least attempt to understand how styles work, how different techniques work, and also things like physicality obviously enter into it. Like, there's no such thing as better striker, really. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's harder for me to pick out sometimes uh, or just easy to overlook all of the subtleties and little tactical changes from fight to fight that allow these incredible wrestler grapplers to appear to be having the same success against everyone. Yeah. And it, cause you know, it'll be people like, Oh yeah. He, you know, they force their opponent to take a chance to take a choice or things like that. But I'll, I'll, you know, I think Makachev and Khabib and that, that, that crew, especially I'm sure other guys do it too. I just think of it most with Khabib because he really was when he got on top of people, it really was such a death sentence. Right. Um, is that they know what choices they can force out of you. They know, they, they watch the tape and they know, okay, this person really likes to do this thing. You know, they are apt. If I may, if I pass in this way, they're going to roll onto their left hip to try and shrimp. Mm-hmm. And if they do that, this will be the opening. I'm not, not, it's not just a pure, oh, I'm flowing in the moment and I knew to tr- set a trap that will get you rolling this way and then do this and then do that. It's like, no, I know if I try to do this, you will try to do this. Yeah. And I can force these following things out of that move every time. Yeah. Which, you know, like I, that, that kind of brings me back around to the idea of watching that, watching Charles Oliveira escape out the back door from deep half guard Mm. on Makachev and seeing Volkanovsky do, I mean, he does more like the Damian Maya thing where he'll get in deep half guard, sit up, grab a, an underhook under the ass essentially, and turn it into a single leg and start and push and twist his way up that way. But you have to think that Makachev has watched that. And it's just like, okay, well, if you do this, you know, if I think that you're going to try to do this, if I think you're going to try to move me to half guard when I take you down, and then you're going to start shrimping this way to try and get that underhook, here is the here is the progression that will the, here's the trap that will be right there waiting for you. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I think to a degree, um, <clears throat> Makachev uh, maybe even better at that than Khabib. Mm-hmm. Just because he is a more patient fighter. Yeah. Um, Khabib would a little more of like crushing people's wills. Mm-hmm. Um, a- allowing or even pressing a just a, a heinous pace on people and definitely uh, getting space and working the strikes very quickly a lot of the time. Yeah. Makachev tends to be a little more of a slow cooker and really make you uncomfortable and establish his control and then um, find some way to give you the, you know, the, the, the poison pill to give you the yeah. choice uh, that he knows will uh, put you in a worse position. So, yeah, what we're what we're like not talking about, which is just kind of the case, because um, it, it often ends up being a non-factor, is that like if Makachev, A, cannot outgrapple Volkanovsky um, or get him down consistently, or B, if Volkanovsky through the preparation he's been doing, where it, it seems to have been all about uh, like being ready to switch to wrestling instincts at absolutely every moment when you're striking, mm-hmm. getting up as quickly as possible, but as safely as possible, methodically getting up fast every single time and never, ever, ever accepting a grounded position, and B, the endurance and cardio to pull this off. Yeah. Then the second possibility which uh, Phil raised to me yesterday is that maybe Volkanovsky could be the first guy who somehow tires Makachev out. Yeah. Uh, knowing that he's going to get taken down and just working super hard and taking every moment in between to land strikes because the opposite of this, all this is definitely true that if this is a striking match, Makachev is losing. Yeah. The, that's definitely, you know, I, he's a serviceable boxer. He's a serviceable boxer. I saw, you know, there's a, there's a the kind of people that populate the more popular ends of MMA analysis and fandom. There's mm-hmm. a clip out there of some guy floating around the the internet talking to I don't know I can't remember a couple other of MMA's talking heads that I I don't remember who they are now. But he's saying like you know Makacha it could just be that Makacha like he's a he's a good he's a good boxer it could just be Makacha goes out there and just like jabs jabs Volkanovski up if he's not ready for it kind of thing. Yeah, that ain't happening. Yeah, that is not happening. It is you know if I expected Volkanovski to be more the type to like get frozen by a takedown threat, you know, it is always possible that some it, degree it of possible. that happens, but it, uh, not to just use the shorthand I criticize other people for using by saying he's a better striker, but he is literally just a better striker. Yeah, th- he, there's a bit of a tempest in a teapot effect, I think, with the Charles Oliveira fight where... Oh, yeah. Oliveira, How, oh, my God. Char- Charles Oliveira ran into a strike that stunned him very early in the fight. Makachev yeah. must be an incredible boxer now. And yeah. that is, A, something that happens to Charles Oliveira all the time. Almost literally every fight. <laughs> and while Oliveira does have range tools that he uses very well, all of Oliveira's range tools are directed towards pushing himself forward. Yeah. This is how it has always been for Oliveira, even when he was like the Rock'em Sock'em Robots version of Brazilian Muay Thai. Yeah. Where he would just, you know, walk forward with both arms pumping and looking to clinch up it, it it's always about creating pressure for him yeah so 
you know, Makachev didn't, he didn't really have to battle with or deal with any range threat at all. All he had to do was wait for Oliveira to be in range. Yeah, literally just walk into striking range. Yeah. yeah. And, and credit to him for having the timing Yeah, and the guts to pull it off because he knew yeah. exactly, I'm going to plant my feet and throw, you know, a couple good punches and then reset, and it worked multiple times. Yeah, worked great, and it also, you know, I would say, Oliveira too, that was a fight where probably more than ever, Oliveira was really honestly thinking about, okay, I don't want this guy to take me down and be on top of me. Yeah. So I need to be watching for that. I need to be watching for the shot as I pressure, and he just got clocked. Yeah, no, I just think that is an absolutely poisonous matchup for a guy like Charles Oliveira. Yeah. A guy whose style is so much dependent on <laughs> the opponent not wanting to hang out with him on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> really. That's a problem. A guy who, it turns out, like, basically doesn't even really have great takedown defense. Just nobody wants to tangle with him. Yep. Um, yeah, and that isn't that isn't Volkanovski. No. He is far better. Again, the flexibility of Volkanovski's whole style, but especially his striking, is the most impressive thing that... Yeah. This is a guy who can pressure, a guy who can fight off the back foot, who can counter, who throws in combination. He uses his jab brilliantly. Um, he is a an increasingly strong defensive technician. Yeah, I was gonna say one of the one of the really remarkable things as a short man who fights from range for Volkanovsky is just how good he is at removing striking tools from his opponents. Yeah, and and that's yeah, he is so tactical um, and strategic in, in like how he picks his targets. Like he also is a great preparer mm-hmm. who seems to come into a fight knowing like these are the couple of things I have to be concerned about, and I'm going to actively work to either prevent the opportunity for them to happen or I'm going to punish them aggressively so that the opponent stops doing it. I mean, it, it is beyond notable how given, you know, given two looks at Max, Max Holloway, where Max Holloway also had two looks at Volkanovski. Volkanovski is the guy who showed up in the third fight and was just like, I'm just taking your whole game away now. Like, that's it. We're not, we're not doing this competitive back and forth thing anymore. Mm-hmm. I have solved your tools at range. You have not solved mine. And he shut Max down in that fight. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. That's one of the most surprising things I've ever seen. But I think I'm still going to pick Makachev here at the end of the day. Yeah. Just because, like... Um... You know, like, th- this is one that really stuck out to me. was Volkanovsky's fight with Chad Mendez great fight i think really the first signs of what kind of striker he would become um and you know a, a definitely a lesser version uh not just in the striking department yeah. of the guy that we see today that was absolutely uh, that was the last time that we saw the volkanovsky i expected us to see for his whole career exactly yeah and even then i was like that was actually better than i thought he was yeah but yeah that that was that was uh, the turning end- point of one punch power hitter with with some wrestle some power wrestling Volkanovsky, which is right. very much the dude he was early in his career coming yeah. up against Mizuto Hirota and Shane Young and Jeremy Kennedy and Darren Elkins. 
And then, you know, we got that Chad Mendes fight, and it was like, oh, yeah, wow, that's, you know, that's more than I thought you're throwing in combination. But, Everyone's like, you coming know, off the jab? I mean, I yeah. didn't even think you had a jab. Exactly. And, <laughs> and this is, these are developments. And then he comes out against Jose Aldo, and you're like, what is this? Yeah. Who who are you? Yeah. And it's been, it's been you know, De- a, Developing that ever since. Yeah. Um, but in that fight, he, you know, he said the exact same thing he's been saying here. And it was, it was just as right then as it is here. He was like, uh, you know, like I, I'm going to get taken down. The main thing is like, I, I can't ever accept position. I always have to work to get back up as quickly as possible. And Chad Mendez took him down, I believe three times. Mm-hmm. In that fight. Um, I think it's one of those where stats might only credit him with two for some reason. Okay. Yeah. No, they, they, they credit him with three. Okay. Three takedowns. Um, first one, I mean, Volkanovski just like instantly starts butt scooting to the cage. Mm-hmm. Like looks totally unconcerned with the fact that Mendez is just like clinging to his leg like a bear trap. Gets his butt to the cage, gets back up. Pretty much the same deal on the second one. Third takedown, I think you do see the first signs of frustration on Volkanovski. Mm-hmm. He's like, his attack has been, he's been hurt this round, but he's, he's turned the momentum around. He's been pressuring Mendez. He's been working his body. And then Mendez hits a big takedown on him. A, I think Volkanovsky himself is feeling the pace. Um, and is a little winded. Mm-hmm. And then you could just see on his face and his body language that he's like, he knows what he has to do. Yeah. But when it keeps happening, it keeps just getting in the way of all the stuff you have to do to actually win. And you just have to go back into essentially purely defensive mindset. Yeah. It's very, very frustrating. And frankly, um, I could be recollecting this incorrectly, but I'm pretty sure Mendez gives up the position <laughs> and that's how he gets back up because it's Chad Mendez. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the, the classic team alpha male thing where you hit the takedown, you work quickly for a submission and if there's no if there's no easy position to advance or no submission to grab, you let the guy up so you can land a bunch of strikes and then you get ready to do yeah. it all over again. And I don't even know if he's like letting him up. I think he's trying yeah. to advance. Sure. Um, but he's like, you know, okay, enough of this position. Nothing's presenting itself. I gotta find yeah. something else. Alpha male is all about speed running their yes. wrestling game. Yeah. And 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 always trying to just, you know, one opportunity didn't work, go on to the next one. And these aren't like I have eight different attacking ideas from this position, like yeah. a, a Makachev kind of like a, a flow chart of options. It's like, all right, uh, there's no like mounted guillotine. I'd better see if I can like let him start scrambling so I can jump onto his back. Yeah, it, it's the idea of, you know, it's, it's a gym used to the idea that you're going to be a physical bully in there. That is the nature of Team Alpha Male, these little yeah. jacked bowling balls of men. And yeah. they, you know, they assume, okay, if I'm, if, if I have physical control of you, I can either keep it or I can create a moment where you're going to be on guard and I can hurt you. And I'm not concerned about the idea of you getting away from me because I'm the physical force here. You know? Yeah. Is also why when things would ever start to go really bad for Uriah Faber in fights, you just see him withdraw and be like, Okay, I'm just going to stand 10 feet away from you, and every now and then I'll wing a really big overhand. Otherwise, I just want to see the final bell of this, because I'm not the physical force in this fight, and now what? Yeah. 
the point being that, like, without Chad Mendes being Chad Mendes, if he was mm-hmm. Islam Makachev, would Volkanovsky have continued getting up the same Good way? Question. Would it ha- would it have worked? Uh, would he have then been able to quickly finish Mendes? I don't know. Again, he's better than he was then in many yeah. ways. And I do think there has been a, even more than usual, a massive focus on grappling conditioning mm-hmm. for this fight because, I mean, he, he's not stupid. He knows that... Uh, yeah, Makachev is not going to give you get-ups. Yeah. You have to make every single opportunity yourself. But, um, I mean, just seeing that, just knowing, um, just, just knowing how comfortable Makachev is in, yeah, turning one little, uh, one little opening into like a whole strategy for the rest of the fight, something mm-hmm. that he can build on and continue finding, and yeah, once something works, it's just it's not going to stop working for Makachev. Yeah, uh, it worked because you didn't know how to correctly defend it, not by accident. Yeah, and they, they and they watched they watched the tape. They knew they do. You wouldn't know how to defend this. Yeah, why so they, they did it? They picked the right weakness from the jump, and you didn't. You just now found out that you were unprepared. Yeah, it, it, it's the Justin Gagey thing all over again, where you know, going into that Khabib fight, it's like, oh well, Gagey's only been taken down like once. And yeah. then, and then you go specifically, watch the takedown. Specifically, Khabib doesn't hit shots. Yeah, that's our point. He doesn't, he doesn't hit, hit double legs. And you watch, and like, okay, there's one gagey takedown d- that he's given up, and it was to Eddie Alvarez, where Eddie Alvarez shot in, gagey flattened out, and Alvarez took advantage of how violently gagey sprawls to uh-huh. immediately cut around to his back and take him down from the rear waist body lock. Yeah, and then you watch the the gagey Khabib fight. And he shoots, Gagey sprawls, cuts around to his back, takes him around, takes him down from the rear waist body lock. It's like, okay, you watched, you watched the one successful thing where he made that one mistake, and you just went out and did it. Yeah. And they, that is the kind of prep that they do. Yep. So it is, it is really, really hard. To pick against Islam Makachev, if you're starting with the assumption that he's going to get a couple takedowns, yeah, it's just it's a hard place to start and be like, but I also think he's going to lose. Mm-hmm. And if you know, if Volkanovski pulls this off, then well, legacy defining, like yeah, he we're is... instantly talking way ahead of his retirement about him very likely being the best of all time. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, and I think that that's something that we're, it, you know, we're Makachev to win this fight. I would, it would be a, it would be a great, great, like career defining win, mm-hmm. but it would not be, we, it would not immediately start that same conversation Yeah, because the, the basic functional ideas of this fight are in his favor. Yeah. At the end of the day, the sad reality is that what the UFC tried to teach us when they first that the Gracies were right? Goddammit! <laughs> what they tried to teach us with the first UFC event is that uh, grappling is actually good in a one-on-one fight, and that each time we think the sport is about to become about you know guys are just good enough on the defense to just shut people out of that game. And you yeah, see all these jiu-jitsu dudes just like floundering, and then a bunch of wrestlers like. Uh, not knowing how to how to handle the positions, 
every single time there's this cycle where somebody just comes in and it's like, oh, you can't win a fight with striking. <laughs> yeah. Striking is not the thing that wins MMA at the very highest spot level possible. And it just, it just feels like that. It's, it is the classic MMA style matchup. And it just feels like, yeah, how do you, how do you not get taken down by Islam Makachev? And if you're going to get taken down, how does it not get worse? Yeah. Oh, wait, so. Dominic Cruz is on the mic, though, which means that we could get the famous, like, oh, he's just going to, he's, you know. He's tiring him out. He's tiring him out. Yeah, Volkanovski's <laughs> wearing it. He's wearing him out. It's a strategy. Which, again, like, I do think there's maybe a possibility Volkanovski, more than Conor McGregor, might be yes. able to do. Yes. Might, might be able to do something like funny that. from the, Conor, Conor McGregor, who has yeah. really only been an intensely successful first round fighter over Same his comeback artist conor mcgregor yeah uh-huh yeah volkanovsky actually has won some impressive comebacks has uh yeah. picked up the pace and and figured things out later in the fight more than once so yeah. it's possible but it would literally be the first time anyone's ever done it to islam Makachev. yeah so um all right we're both gonna pick uh we're both picking Makachev. He is the favorite here. Open. Oh, you, for, you forgot his name too. I did. I. You know what? Fortunately, I had a piece of paper in front of me with his name written on it. <laughs> All you had to do was be literate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's a challenge, but today I got there. <laughs> Volkanovski opened at minus four ninety, jumped up to minus three seventeen. Currently at minus three eighty nine. Oh, wait, Makachev opened at. Minus 490, jumped up to minus 317, down at minus 389. Volkanovski opened at plus 380, dropped to plus 260, and is currently back at plus 300. So, yeah, I get it. I mean, I think that Volkanovski really deserves to be a little better off here because there's there is a path to victory here for him. It's yeah. just we need to see somebody show that they can make that path happen because – yeah. So far, the only path anybody has shown to beating Islam Makachev is just to club him unconscious in the first round. Yeah. Which also, you know, could happen. Could happen, but it's not. He's not a great defensive striker. I just, I, I really think uh, that the striking of Makachev benefits a ton from the, the wrestling threat. But um, And I would also just also say, too, that as Volkanovski's game has improved and gone forward... One punch KO artist Volkanovsky has kind of gone away. Yeah, because was he ever a one punch KO artist? I mean, he he won several fights via first round knockout on his way up to the UFC. He he knocked Jamie Malarkey out in the first round. Yeah, that's true. You know, he 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 was able to stop people early in fights coming up. It's just once he got into this more, you know, crafty more adjusting, more, you know, thoughtful style, the emphasis on really sitting down on multiple big, heavy strikes with really bad intentions kind of went away because, you know, a lot of the idea for being a good all-terrain offensive and defensive fighter is that you got to be mindful of overcommitting. Yeah. I mean, I think he, he has, for all that, he has looked like an incredibly sharp striker in his last oh, two. Yeah. yeah. 
and that can sort of bring back some of the natural power that he definitely has. That definitely, he's he's not he's a in light there. Sure. Yeah, and he's in there against you know famously durable fighters in Chan Sung Jung and Max Holloway, mm-hmm. and hurting them um, yeah. without necessarily having to try super hard to do it. So you know, I think he's still a. I think there was a downturn, and he's back to being a more meaningful puncher, but. But it would be a surprise if he went out and Islam Makachev out in the first round. Yeah, it would be sweet. It would (laughs) also be um, weirdly unsatisfying because it would would be like JDS Kane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It wouldn't 100% feel that he actually proved that he's better than Makachev. Yeah. All right, that brings us to our co-main event. Yair Rodriguez, Josh Emmett. And I'm I'm glad to see a little more movement happening at the top of featherweight. I know Makachev, sure. I know Volkanovski's booked, but if he's going to lose this fight, then Yair versus Emmett seems like it's right there cooking to be his welcome back to the featherweight division. Yeah. And um, those two and Arnold Allen are the guys yep. currently in the picture. And you know, for especially for Emmett, this is good because he's 37 and. He's got a style that is not going to... I mean, it's already lasted a lot longer than it should, kind of, really, honestly. Yeah. Like, he's just clearly a physical specimen with great speed and strength. Yeah, to be. that's a, another, a common thread among super athletes is yeah. surprisingly long primes. Yeah. So you're 37 and you're still out here as a dude who... There's a speed change in his game now. There's a few nuances here and there, but it's largely a I can throw really heavy power shots moving forward and backwards, and I can do it consistently for round after round after round after round after round. Mm-hmm. That is still the heart of what makes Josh Emmett a capable high-level fighter. Yep. And I don't. I think it's probably exactly the wrong mm. style to get him past Yair Rodriguez. Because it was almost, you know, it almost didn't get him past Calvin Cater. Yeah, I mean, it barely got him past Danny Gay. Yeah. It is It is a very, when you're getting to the point where guys at the top of your of divisions in, in MMA... Most of them at the, who reach that point are super durable. Mm-hmm. If you're only going to offer one real consistent base skill set, they're going to problem solve it. Mm-hmm. Unless or, they're Shane Burgos. Or unless they're <laughs> Shane Burgos, or unless they're Calvin Cater suddenly thinking, you know, I know I'm the most durable fighter to ever live, but maybe I should be really extra cautious with Josh Emmett. Yeah. Because by the end of that fight, it felt very much like a fight Calvin Cater should have won all along. Mm-hmm. But he didn't He didn't do that for like the first three rounds. And Yair, like, the funny thing with Yair is it's not like there's a lot more like creative, technical nuance and problem solving to Yair's game. No, he's a mess. He's a mess. He's he's get he he has he is more confident and more serene in fights than he used to be. Yep. 
and it is making him a better boxer because he is also insane, one of God's most durable humans. Yep. And he has the confidence to know that, and he'll just stand in now and take shots, and he's ready to whip really hard, wide counters coming from weird angles at you. Yeah, and I will say his his um, you know defense and combination punching these things have gotten better, not like really technically, mm-hmm. but he has you know he's more experienced. He just yeah. he's he's more aware, and being a himself a fantastic athlete um, has like developed the field to improvise his way out of trouble a lot better than he used to be able to. Yeah. It's not a great structure. These, these things shouldn't connect naturally one technique to the other, but because he's Yair, he can make it work. And um, so yeah, he's, he's become craftier. And you know, you, you jump over and you know, uh, Max Holloway, not at all really like Josh Emmett. But very much a fighter who, like Josh Emmett, really only kind of tends to want to have one kind of fight. Mm-hmm. It is a more nuanced, technically deeper, uh, more skillful and more def- defensively mindful kind of fight than the fight Josh Emmett has. But it's largely a boxing and kickboxing affair for Max Holloway. Yeah. And yeah, it gave him a ton of trouble just by being so goddamn wild and tough and willing to, and calm enough now to be willing to, to lean on both of those traits, knowing he's going to get the same kind of exchanges over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that seems like it's going to go, if I got to pick somebody for that's going to go poorly for, I think it's going to be Josh Emmett. Yeah. Because especially just the variety of kicking game that Yair can pull out. It's the kicks, yeah. He can really, really put that on Emmett over and over in a middle distance where Emmett is trying to approach him with the same exchange over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a lot harder for Emmett to anticipate what's coming than it is for Yair. So, yeah, I mean, there's a chance that Emmett can go out there and knock him out, but... It hasn't happened to Yair Rodriguez yet. Yeah, you know, he's only been. Uh, I think he, I think he was knocked out really early in his career, yeah, and then he, he was knocked out really early. That's right. And then he was attritively doctor stoppaged by Frankie Edgar. Yeah, but uh, and and that does bring up the one other thing I think we should mention before I also pick Yair Rodriguez, uh-huh. which is there is a a possibility Josh Emmett could make something happen with his wrestling. Sure. Uh, I think that is kind of the culprit in most of Yair's least impressive fights. Mm-hmm. He was able to shut down a lot of Max Holloway's wrestling, which he sort of unveiled in that matchup. Yeah. Um, but it's Max Holloway. Like, yeah, Noodly guy is not the most wrestling yeah. favorable body type. Brick yeah. shithouse. Yeah. Josh Emmett body. That is, that is a much more natural shot wrestling style guys built like a battering ram like yeah just makes sense but i just don't know that josh emmett has the right approach um following the takedown to actually trouble yair because like the problem is that he's often too willing to be on his back and um 
or is way too inefficient in getting back up. And it has, I think, been the one thing that has successfully tired him out. Yeah. In, a, in a torrid striking pace, the guy has insane cardio. Yeah. He would just go forever. But we just talked about alpha male and exactly. how, yeah. how their, their wrestling game tends to work. And it's very much one of the assumption that you can make it work over and over again. And so you don't put a lot of value on any one takedown position or takedown gained. Yeah. And except for what you feel like it can instantly create for you. And it's also just not what Josh Emmett has been wanting to do. Like, I, yeah. I don't I don't know that it fits very naturally into this more developed version of his striking game. I have no idea. Yeah. The last guy that he tried to take down more than is like a, you know, let's just see what happens kind of move was like in his like second UFC fight. I think he took down uh, Holtzman, Scott Holtzman, a bunch of times. Yeah. And Holtzman and, really just kind of gives it up. Yeah, and since then he's largely just kind of thrown one in. Yeah, he has now. one take, no more than one takedown in any fight since that one. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, I really think it's the the range that that Yair just does not have to step into Josh Emmett's wheelhouse. He will, mm-hmm. but he can take the shots probably when he gets there. He is insanely tough. And then for all the time that we're spending at range, I cannot help but think about. Just how much success. I mean, Shane Burgos, Josh Emmett's most impressive win. Yeah. He took Shane Burgos to school, and he did it with knee issues and everything. Um, but in the first, like, three minutes of that fight, he's, like, half crippled by low kicks. Yeah. Shane Burgos just comes out and just gets a ton of free kicks on his calf and his thigh. Yeah. And um, Yair Rodriguez throws a lot of kicks. He throws them to every target. And he throws them all with maximum power. <laughs> yeah. Like, and he does it forever. He can do that yeah. forever. There yeah, is a no... guy who can just whip massive kicks at you yeah. whenever he wants for as long as he needs to. I think it's just a tough matchup for Josh, who wants to get yeah. into boxing range, who has thus far shown no ability to check kicks, mm-hmm. uh, like most MMA fighters, really. But... Um, yeah, as long as Yair is just feeding him a steady diet of kicks, like not only is it much likelier, I think that Yair hurts Josh Emmett with a kick mm-hmm. than it is that Josh Emmett actually like drops Yair with a punch, but he's just going to be racking up lots of really important, uh, attrition. Yep. And, um, yeah, I, I also favor Yair. I, this was one that kind of threw me cause I, I looked at it and I'm like, Oh, Josh Emmett's a better fighter than Yair Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. But again, what does better fighter mean in this yeah. style matchup? I just I only had to look at it for a bit before I was like, this is not a good fight for Josh. Emmett. Yeah, no, it really does not. Especially like you watch that cater fight, you watch the early goings of it and you seeing a very negative, very withdrawn cater. Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing a Josh Emmett who let me let me check my stats here just so my eyes don't deceive who lands 11 of 35 strikes in the first round of that fight. Yeah, he's perfectly with, happy to... A withdrawn opponent, and he's, yeah, he's perfectly happy to to just, like, keep a low outside pace from distance, peck away, go one for one, you know, and, like, that is just a dream for Yair. Yeah. It really is. Yep. Just give Yair his range, and uh, it's just you're, you're, you, you better be able to, to crush him or hold him on his back or something. Yeah. Other, otherwise, you're, you're going to look 
uh, a little too much like like Jeremy Stevens in that second fight. Mm-hmm. Where again, he yeah, like Yair hurt Jeremy Stevens on like three occasions with just huge body kicks. Yeah, uh, just little stumpy Jeremy couldn't get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Odds on the bout: Josh Emmett is the slight underdog. Open at plus one forty. Got as low as plus one thirty three. Currently back up at plus one forty three. So odds skewing away from Emmett in the last couple days. Yeah, Rodriguez opened at minus one sixty. Currently down at minus one seventy three. Yeah, all the money coming Yair's way at the moment on that fight. I'm not surprised. That makes sense to me. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Jack Della Maddalena, Randy Brown, and um, yeah, Rude Boy. Better. This is this is kind of a um, this feels like a shit or get off the pot moment for him. Mm. Because this is not a fight that if I were him, I would have taken. And it uh, has every... The the potential for him, Randy Brown to walk over Madalena is right there. And if he doesn't, the potential for him to get run through and humiliated is very large. Yeah. That, I, I kind of feel the same way. That, like, I... The more I think about it, the more competitive this matchup seems. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's competitive but, that I think mo- both guys could absolutely humiliate the other one. Yeah. yeah I don't I mean, know that we'll get a competitive fight out of it. I can right. just see two instances where either guy ends up destroyed. Yeah. Um, and, and Randy Brown has certainly shown... Uh, at times, just flashes, which is kind of the problem. Yeah. But once or twice, really consistent full performances of the style that I think would probably be, be very difficult for Madalena to deal with. Mm-hmm. Particularly his fight with Brian Barberena. But then otherwise, you know, two or three minutes at a time, multiple times per fight against um, Chaos Williams and Francisco Trinaldo. Yeah. Um, yeah. These, like, stockier punchers. And, yeah, like, Randy Brown is... I think Randy Brown's real problem is he's like distractible. Yeah. <laughs> he gets very. an I he gets an idea. That's Randy Brown's problem. He gets too many ideas. He's like, wouldn't it be cool if this happens? Mm-hmm. Um and like, yeah, it's like it's like an absence of what we were talking about with like Makachev, an absence of strategic thinking of uh, really specific preparation and like setting some, some like rails down for yourself that are going to keep you in a winning position. It's these poor fighters that, that watched and idolized the, the latter like half of Anderson Silva's career. Yeah. The like, Oh man, that's like water that's flowing, being the like trickster and all that. And, like, every now and then uncorking some, like, one amazing thing that you sort of have snatched out of the ether yeah, to demolish your opponent. It's like, yeah, but watch, like, what so much of how Anderson Silva got to be that guy later on is by how consistently violent he was early on in a way that terrified people to the point that when he was old and slowing down, people were just like, I don't want to get humiliated by this man. Exactly. I think people really, really overlook the fact that, um, uh, that like all of that, 
Anderson Silva stuff that like we've said this before. Anderson Silva's like whole UFC title run is like post prime. Yeah. That like so much of that was a ruse mm-hmm. was, was exceptionally crafted bullshit where it's like you, you know what I mean like mm-hmm. you don't want to walk in on me and then like Chael Sonnen does it yeah like oh my god Anderson doesn't know how to dodge a punch <laughs> like it only works when they're swinging from really far away because they're scared mm-hmm. um, and yeah that this a lot of this was facade and that 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 was not really Anderson at his best and if you want to do that kind of stuff you have to be really really consistently good with all the all of the stuff that actually makes the opponent make the mistakes that, mm-hmm. that allow that style to function yeah. um and Randy Brown can is the thing like this is why yeah. he's frustrating because he he is actually he has become really quite a, a deft outside boxer Really, definitely, and he should be obviously yeah. right. I mean, he's massive. He's he's got he's got a seventy-eight inch reach, and he's six foot three, and he's fighting at one hundred and seventy pounds. Yeah, he's got a hugely lanky frame, and is a great kicker, and a and a, has an excellent jab, solid counter puncher, really good just one twos, and he knows how to move off of these strikes pretty well, mm-hmm. uh, and how to constantly be resetting and and creating a new angle so the opponent. No matter how close they thought they were to you, now they suddenly have a new distance to cover off to the side. Yep. Um, but he just doesn't do it consistently. Yeah. And I think it is his desire to do something cool rather than just to win that um, that gives him a chronic tendency to start fighting his opponent's fight. Yes. There was absolutely zero reason to stand to let Chaos Williams mosey into the pocket. Yeah. And try to do, like, I'm going to slip nine punches in a row and then counter him. Mm-hmm. There's no reason. I respect it. Sure. <laughs> it's cool. You know, everybody wants to do cool shit. Yeah. I respect the desire, but it is it overtakes uh, sense for Randy Brown. Mm-hmm. And that fight w- w- was at times a fight where it's like, oh, he is dominating Chaos Williams. Yeah. He is making him look like the worst technical fighter on the roster right now. He is just outclassing him. This looks like Robert Whitaker, Kelvin Gastelum out here. Mm-hmm. And despite being able to win the fight that way, he allowed it to be like a very close split. Yep. Because he kept getting stung and he got dropped and kept putting himself in trouble. And I yeah. think that is ultimately going to be his death sentence against Madalena because yep. as much as I think, yeah, Madalena's kind of plotting um, you know, he, like, he is. I. I gotta feel like he is. He is headed for a stone cold first round knockout loss at some point. Madeline. where somebody just jump knees him or lands an elbow in the pocket, and it just wrecks him. Yeah, or at yeah. the very least, one of these fights is going to be. He's going to get the exchanges he wants, but the opponent is going to be durable, and it's going to be a war that he can't get out of. He yeah, I mean, well, there will there that that's like the you know that that's the ultimate hope for somebody like Madalena is that sure. lot, when loss happens, it comes through righteous battle that you know your yeah. opponent was there to give as good as they got, and you left it in the you know you left it to fate, and fate didn't favor you. I'm just saying, sooner or later, Madalena will you know, walk in on some electric hyper athlete 
Yeah. Like which Randy Brown can be, who is giant. It could be Randy Brown, very yeah. much so. And who just is like, okay, here's a step knee up the middle and yep. Yep. that just walks him into it. Yeah. And that's could happen. It. You're not and I also think Randy Brown could potentially outclass Madalena from outside as well. Yep. And probably if he does find the KO, it will be preceded by a measure of that. Yeah. Of him making Madalena come forward too recklessly, yada yada. But the but what I see happening is Randy Brown at some point just sort of backing himself into the fence mm-hmm. and waiting to find out what happens. Yes. And that's suicide. M- Madalena is more than most fight i mean he you know it's the personification of the style i love to see which is he more than most fighters even who do the same things that jack della madalena does it's i i guess i i'm i'm wandering here but it gets me it is the best part of the best of robbie lawler's fights Mm -hmm. which is when lawler would have the understanding that if he was creating, you could not be. Yeah. If he was punching you the way he wanted to punch you in the pocket in combination, you could not be punching him. And Jack Della Maddalena has that understanding absolutely stone cold down. Yeah. Where he will be digging, you know, you cut, you let him walk in on you and flurry. The punches are going to come to the body. They're going to come to the head. They're going to come five, eight deep, whatever. Too much pressure, too much initiative to deal with. You just, you have to go on the defensive. You have to. And if you, because if you start trying to counter, if you start trying to battle back, if you're like, oh, I'm going to throw back, I'm going to make something happen, I scare this guy off you are going to leave a, sh- a target that he will immediately take advantage of. It's, you know, yeah. it's not the classic MMA brawler where they're just br- running in and head hunting. And all you have to do is sit back with a high guard and wait until they burn their arms out. It is a, if you sit back, if you try to battle back, if you, even if you just sit back, you are going to be giving away exactly what he needs. Yeah. And and it is particularly the body punching too. Like, yeah, should be the the ultimate uh, striking weapon for anyone fighting a, a guy with Randy Brown's frame. Mm-hmm. Like his organs are right there. Yeah, <laughs> he, you know, he's too tall. He can't even cover them effectively. And I'm looking straight at his gut. Like, the it is the most available target against a tall guy. Yeah, and uh, certainly a lot of. Uh, like Francisco Trinaldo managed to make his fight with Randy Brown very competitive, very impressive effort. Mm-hmm. He landed a fair few strong body punches. Like most people, Randy Brown has fought just don't know to do that. Yep. Madalena does it against everyone. Yeah. It's going to be an accident that it works especially well against Randy Brown because he'll do it anyway. Mm-hmm. But he's going to find those openings. And, and, and yeah, I just, Randy Brown's, uh, and again, a guy who has, it's not like all the, the silly stuff he was trying against KS Williams wasn't working. No, yeah. Sometimes it worked. Like, I think he could be a pretty good defensive slickster. Given He's time. huge. He is fast. He is dynamic. And he is crafty in a way like he actually picks out good ideas to try that surprise yeah. people. And he was reading a lot of those, like, punching patterns pretty well. Yeah. But uh, Madalena, that is one of the things that he is exceptionally good at is – the, the the patterns are difficult to follow and they are uh they permutate. Yeah. 
So like you react to, to one thing this way, you're getting two punches off the same hand in a row. You're getting like a half beat faint in the middle of the combination that just completely throws off your timing. And you're getting punches to targets that you're not currently thinking about protecting, especially yeah. the body. And after the body, of course, the head. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I really think uh, this could be a fight where Randy Brown styles on Madalena. It could be a fight where he just kills Madalena quickly on the way in. But in all likelihood, if it's going to be a bit of the one, not the other, and instead Randy Brown forgetting what he's doing and getting murdered. Yeah, like this is a fight. It's competitive in that both men could get absolutely humiliated by it. Yeah, it's true. I don't know that it, I, I can't see this fight being a three round like touch and go war of attrition. You know, it, it seems much more likely it's going to be like. Man, Randy Brown could absolutely end Madalena for his relentless aggression and willingness to block with a face that has blocked every strike in the world already. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is what I would love to see. I would love to see Randy Brown out there just being really consistent. There's also the fact yeah. that um, Madalena is like a planted front foot boxer. Yeah. That's a great opportunity for Randy Brown to keep him at bay and just chop his legs away. Yeah. Brown's a good low kicker. There's the opportunity for that. And then there's the opportunity for Madalena to just go out there and make Brown pay for every single moment that he's like, I'm going to do something tricky and I'm going to, what's my next idea? Oh, sh you know, yeah. it just feels too much like one of those uh, fights demanding perfection. Yeah. For a, for a guy as like defined by imperfection as Randy Brown. Yeah. Odds on the bout. See, Brown is the underdog. Opened at plus two eighty five, dropped to plus two fifty six. Currently up at plus two ninety five. Madeleine opened at minus three fifty, jumped up to minus three twenty three. Currently back at minus three fifty seven. <laughs> Apparently, one book has Madeleine at minus nine ten. Wow. Yeah, that's too wide. That is way too wide. That, like I said, there is going to be a point for Jack Della Maddalena where he, I, I, I strongly suspect he is just going to get iced at some point in a really severe way because MMA is too diverse and creative and surprising mm -hmm. for. You know, a style that saw him go absolutely hammer and tongs, punch for punch with Angelusa mm -hmm. to see him through every fight all the way up the division. But it, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun all along the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no matter what. So, yeah, too a little too wide for Madeline, on my, in my opinion. But oh, let's just just out of curiosity... Mm -hmm. Randy Brown by TKO KO is plus 1200. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not betting on it. I'm not betting on it either. <laughs> I think he's going to lose. But, you know, always worth seeing that, that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, that brings us to a heavyweight bout Justin Taffa, Parker Porter. And, I mean, this is kind of a weirdly hard fight to call mm -hmm. because Parker Porter is such a 
every fight he wins in the UFC is such a reward for like dudes who work on in meat packing plants across the country mm-hmm. and dream one day of being pro fighters. <laughs> you know, like yeah. he is a he, he's six foot tall, but he has the aspect of a very a, a much shorter man. <laughs> And <laughs> he has the aspect of a shorter man. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. I mean, like you just you see him in the cage, and you're like, oh, he's like five foot eight, making it happen out there. <laughs> you know, I actually feel like he's huge. I actually feel the opposite. I feel like he. I would see him in person and be like, that's a really big man, even though he's like barely taller than me, if he is even truly six feet, or yeah. if like me, he just says he's six feet when he's in fact like a quarter of an inch shy. It, it, I think it's, just, I mean, it's, to me, it's just like he's got Charles Barkley body. <laughs> okay. Where, you know, Charles Barkley is in reality like huge and tall. He looks more like Charles Bartab. <laughs> 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 but like you saw, you know, he was the round mound of rebound, and like, yeah, yeah, you know, you don't call a tall guy a mound. <laughs> <laughs> the reflection is like uh, he squats somehow, and that's how yeah. Parker Porter feels. He's a six yeah. foot tall squat man. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a durable heavyweight. Which yeah. is, of course, the key aspect to not being... Not to the heavyweight standard. Not to heavyweight standards. He is durable enough to survive, but he is not... Even, every fight he's won involves him getting hurt really badly as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he just kind of... He's making it work at heavyweight with pace in a way that most pace heavy... Mo- most high-pace heavyweights are insanely durable and huge. And he is not really either of those things, you know. And Justin Taffa is also not the world's most durable heavyweight, but he at least has heavyweight power. He's also very inexperienced, and it's just it's it's hard for like hard for me ever every time to pick board. It's just like, is, he, is this just going to be a, a, a fight where he just gets absolutely knocked out cold? Yeah. Because if he doesn't get knocked out, I got to pick Parker Porter to win this. Right? Yeah. Toffa's just too low output. Yeah. Too willing to go one for one with people. Doesn't have enough ideas of anything he wants to do other than stand at the edge of boxing range and punch. Yeah. You know, the fight he, he, the fight he killed Harry Hunsucker in last time out a lot of that was down to how much Harry Hunsucker tried to take a fight to Justin Taffa and create Justin Taffa's ideas for him. Yeah, exactly. Although, granted, there will be some degree of that with Porter. Yeah, there will. Given a a really neutral opponent, he's definitely going to try to make things happen as often as possible. Like you said, he's he's a pace fighter. Yeah, I think the problem for Taffa is that Porter genuinely does a pretty good job of making things happen. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just step in and swing. He is like a jab first, a very slow, but all the same, a, a, a fairly principled boxer. Yeah. But um, it is. But it is that does create the kind of thing where it's just like, man, is there? It, 
Porter is going to... I guess this is the best way I can put this. Porter is going to get hurt really bad in this fight. Yeah. And I don't know if he's going to get knocked out or not. If he doesn't get knocked out, I think he's going to win it. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. But he is going to get hurt really bad. Um, I think I'm going to take the flyer on Justin Taffa. And... I'm I'm more than happy to be wrong about that. I love seeing Porter succeed, but I just get the feeling that Tafa ha- Tafa has the ability to grow by leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. There's clear potential there. There's athleticism. There's power. There is dynamic potential. Like landing that head kick he hit on Hunsucker. The man can can get his body to move at speed if needed. Yeah, and even in the fights he loses, yeah, he's got very fast hands and, mm-hmm. and strikes. He's explosive. And even in the uh, fights he loses, there will usually be, like, one great counterpunch. Mm-hmm. You know, usually more than a few. But he just yeah. doesn't put anything together. He doesn't put anything together. And there, uh, there's every reason Parker Porter can win this fight. I'm just not picking it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll pick Parker Porter because I don't care that much. Sure, that's fine. <laughs> and I think being a lumbering pace fighter who, yes, gets hurt, but is definitely, like, uh, for that that very reason, gotten pretty damn good at surviving and getting back on the winning track. Mm-hmm. I'll take Porter for being the, yeah. the consistent journeyman fighter. Yeah, if he doesn't get knocked out, even though I think he's going to get hurt really badly, I definitely think Porter can come back and, and win this yeah. fight and take it over. Yeah, He's definitely a dude who does not get... He does not get dis uh, uh, discouraged. Discouraged, yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. Porter opened at minus one hundred five, jumped up to plus one twenty five, and is currently at plus one hundred five. Tafa opened at minus one fifteen, dropped to minus one fifteen, is currently up at minus one twenty seven. Yeah, these odds should definitely just be dead even. I assume it's just the hometown grappling or hometown gambling crowd that's skewing uh, things at all towards Tafa away from a fight that just shouldn't mm-hmm. be like, you know, minus 110 for both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who cares? Why is yeah. this on the main card? Because he's Tafa's from the Austria, Australia and New so Zealand. So literally a, a 50% of I every know, other fight on the card. <laughs> That's not unique in this particular instance. All right. That brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Jimmy Crute, Alonzo Menafield. Uh-huh. And um Yeah. Um <laughs> God. This uh this is this is the middleweight half a light heavyweight. Yeah, I mean well Yeah. Th- these two dudes are such ex- they are so absolutely what light heavyweight is all about, which is that they are both like insanely powerful, fast athletes who have turned that into no defensive skill whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, I think that's even more Menifield a bit than it is. I, yeah. What I was, what I was thinking is watching the tape. I mean, first of all, obviously I watched Menifield's fight with William Knight. Yeah. Which is just like the, the, the beefiest fight <laughs> ever. Really just beefy boys slapping me yeah beefy boys slapping me the fight the MMA experience (laughs) and um, I mean that is a true light heavyweight fight 
And then I looked at Jimmy Crute next, and I was like, I think Jimmy Crute thinks he's one of those guys. Yes. I'm not really sold that he is. Like, he definitely has the approach of, uh, of yeah, just throwing everything with, like, massive power and, like, winding up on every strike and having, like, one idea at a time. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's not really as fast as the likes of, like, Menifield and Knight, is he? Yeah, I mean... He puts a he, he puts too much effort into it to be that that kind of athletic powerhouse. Like that's why he turns so red. Yeah, he's wow. in there just straining the whole time, and that's also just the white plate, though. I, I suppose know. that's true. Big white get big white dudes. We we, you know that. Why well, I, yeah. I say we? I'm not. Life is so unfair big, to white people, isn't it, Zane? It is. Yeah, I mean. We never get a fair shake. Never get a fair shake. But yeah, the tomato, the, the tomatoification. <laughs> so, you know, but that's the thing is like Jimmy Crute, he, he has the style of a better athlete. Yeah. But I think it would probably work more often if he was like truly just like a, a speedy, explosive freak. But instead, it sort of like tires him out and it's like feels disconnected. And then he kind of stumbles awkwardly around between strikes and um, man, I found his fight with Jamal Hill uh, to be pretty embarrassing for Jimmy. Yeah, because like I'm not sure what he was thinking in there. He he like clearly he came in. He was like, I'm going to do right body kicks because he throws like eight of them in the first minute. Mm-hmm. And like one of them works and then he keeps throwing them with no uh, no addition of technique, no new setup, uh, nothing. And they just start missing mm-hmm. because he's not setting them up and he's like spinning around and Jamal Hill sees him spin around one times too many, and he's like, I'm going to step in on this dude. <laughs> and Jimmy Crew just loads up as if he's, you know, like Yoel Romero. Like, he's just going to knock Jamal Hill out on the way in. Like, no sense of danger that, like, this is not the dude with this big reach advantage and big power that I should just be, like, teeing up and watching him come at me and swing on him. Yeah. And just gets flattened. Yeah. Um. So I, I almost kind of have a feeling that like Menafield being like a one-two machine is going to land a lot of free punches on Jimmy Crute. Might be. It's kind of my feeling. Menafield's pretty meat and potatoes with his striking. P- potatoes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's light heavyweight, so meat. Meat. Okay, all right. Yeah. He's pretty meat with his striking. But not yeah. like good meat, like hot dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Byproduct. <laughs> He got those baloney hands. <laughs> can spam. If Lesnar had the can canned ham hands. Yeah. Um, so I kind of think he's gonna land a lot, but then I also look at William Knight just like easily out grappling Menafield. Yeah. And that's also embarrassing. And I know Jimmy Crute, he's the kind of guy who has to do everything. Yeah. He is going to go to wrestle and he is going to like jump on the back the moment it, it, it appears to him. Um, so like, who do I trust down the stretch in like a stupid fight where I think both of them are going to suffer from a massive defensive hole? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I, I think that personally, this to me feels like the kind of fight Jimmy Crute wins. And there's at least one very good reason for that. In the night fight, spelled it out I think better than anything mm-hmm. which is that 
Manifield can be he can be made to shut down. If if you are if you come to Manifield with something that scares him, he will just stop fighting. Yeah. And because he doesn't want to he doesn't want to get hurt, he doesn't want to get run over, he doesn't want to get knocked out. And because he doesn't have the technical depth to 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 do anything defensively. Yeah. Like if you get punished and you don't have any depth, then the solution is to do less. Yeah. Like he really when he gets caught, it it seems like it it really terrifies him and shuts yeah. him down. And that is not a Jimmy Crew problem. To a fault. It's not a Jimmy Crew problem. Yeah, absolutely to a fault. But if Crute start goes out there and starts storming Knight or Metafield rather, he's not gonna. I don't think he's gonna. He, you know, he's gonna stop meeting resistance. Yeah, that does kind of make sense. And that I have a lot less faith in Metafield as a knockout artist oh, yeah. uh, to stop Crute from encroaching on him before that happens than I have in Crute for just being able to go out there. And throw himself at night and just get night overthinking the fight entirely. So, yeah, that makes sense to me. Kurt just doesn't stop. It is it is the worst thing about him, but in this case, um, you know, he's he's at least gonna be like accidentally hitting every target and will yeah. probably stumble on something that makes Manifield think twice. There's gonna yeah. be lots of kicks, there's gonna be lots of power punches, there's gonna be takedown threats. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The biggest thing, too, for me is that Menafield is really not a counter-puncher at all, either. Because oh, he got soundly out-countered by William Knight. He, his, his reactions to getting hit are so bad, and his worry about getting hit is so bad, that he can't, he doesn't actually, he can't actually put himself in, in position to punch when he's being defensive. Yeah. You know, he, he, he gets into a mode where an arm punch is the only thing he could do, because... He's off balance. He's out of position. He's worried about what's coming after him. And that just, you know, Crute, that, that seems like a good way for Crew to just storm him to me. Yeah, you know, I'm sold. Crute open at minus 230. Was trucking along right about there until the last uh, couple days or so when he bumped up from minus 229 to minus 191. Menafield opened at plus 195 and dropped from plus 188 to plus 157 in the past of play. So money coming in Menafield's way. I get the crude has had his hiccups lately, but throwing yourself at Jamal Hill is, you know, a much different problem than throwing yourself at Alonzo Menafield. Certainly is. And... Even on one leg, Crute was still managing to get a lot done against Anthony Smith. My God, this is just a, an embarrassing division, isn't it? Like It really is. Anthony Smith, who, by the way, John Jones at times struggled to out-wrestle, just got taken down like three times by a one-legged Jimmy Crute. Yeah. That's your main event mainstay of light heavyweight right there. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap this up. You can find me on Twitter at TheZaneSign. You can find Connor over on uh, on Twitter at BoxingBush. 
As always, we'll be over at Bloody Elbow as well. Give us a like on uh, all our apps, SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that, wherever you listen to this podcast, like, subscribe, all that stuff. And, of course, I forgot to mention, check out our Patreon, MMA, uh, patreon.com slash MMA vivisection. You can find it in this post under, on YouTube, on Bloody Elbow, wherever else it'll be. There'll be a link there to our Patreon or over on my Twitter at Simon pitch in the money goes to not just pay me but to pay connor and to pay uh eddie over on the sixth round and to pay our producer and all that stuff so i don't want people thinking like it's just me looking out for myself here and uh as always as well the mma vivid section is brought to you by chris reaney and his book the fine art of violence which you can find over at chris reaney.com c-h-r-i-s-r-i-n-i.com thanks everyone for tuning in we'll see you next time Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play by Play for every UFC pay per view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow. Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com